Welcome, friends, to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. Consciously Creating Your Life with Christy Pellicorn. Hi, everybody. I have a great guest for us today. <laughs> I met Christy at Sang, which is Supporting Emotional Needs of Gifted Conference. And the minute she opened her mouth and started speaking, I'm like, oh, I have to know her. Well, come to find out, we have so many similarities and so many other diverse parts of our lives. This is going to be a great show. So get your tea. Get ready to sit back and enjoy a really amazing conversation with a woman who's been a professor, who is a poet, who is gifted, who has a nonprofit, who serves other people from her heart, and more. So talk about somebody who's smart and creative and creatively smart. There you have it. All wrapped up in this really cool person from Texas. So we're going to talk about consciously creating the life of your dreams and whatever else comes up. So Christy, welcome so much to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And that intro made me teary. <laughs> <laughs> well, Let's don't start with crying. <laughs> uh, no, we, we won't start with crying. Well, we may cry, but we won't start with crying. What I'd like to start with, though, is it's beautiful to meet somebody who appreciates and understands their own diversity, their own intricate. There's way more going on with us than one thing. And so I would like to have you kind of give us a cliff note version of a little bit about how you came to love and appreciate your multi-talents wrapped up in your one beautiful being? So I would say that that came through crisis. Okay. There was a defining moment in my life a few years ago. Gosh, I guess it's been about 10 years ago now where I was crying in a bathroom stall at a job that I hated. <laughs> I just was having a breakdown and I just didn't want anyone to see that happening. So I went to the bathroom and I'm stand, I'm sitting there, you know, I see myself in the mirror and I can see how unhappy I am. And I just have this moment of, I have to figure this out. Something mm. is, something is not working for me. I went to college. I, I got the graduate degree. I had a healthy marriage. I was a you know, a mom and things were going great with my daughter, but there were, there was something going on inside of me that just needed attention. Um, and even though I had been identified as gifted, basically the moment I entered school, that part of my identity kind of fell away as I grew up. And that messaging that it really wasn't important and really wasn't something that adults were that hit me about middle school because between middle school and high school, all the gifted education in my school district stopped. Mm -hmm. So I high school and, and after that, I stopped thinking of myself in that way. But when I was having this crisis moment, I remembered that part of myself. I remembered the word gifted and I started to wonder, is that what's wrong with me? <laughs> And so I, I found saying, and I found a therapist who specialized with gifted and I started to explore that. 
Um, but yeah, that was really kind of the, you know, one of those sad moments when you just have to wake up a little bit to other things going on. So. Right. And so on the outside, everything looked fine. You had the degrees, you had the family, everything looked good. You had the good job and everything. But yet there was, I call it like the silent pain, the silent misery that eventually just erupts out because it just, it's like a volcano can't take it anymore. Yep, absolutely. So is that when you started writing poetry or were you a poet before all this, before the crisis? How, how did the poetry play into helping the, helping you on the other end of this crisis? Because I'm assuming that it has something to do with it. Kind of, yes. Okay, so poetry, I I have been writing it since I, like, first grade. I, I have little kid <laughs> stick drawing poetry books. Um, and I even have, like, my little award for first grade of having written one for a book contest. So that piece of my life, this relationship with language, and it's it's more than language. It's more about a way of seeing. Um, has been consistent since I can remember. Nice. And I very much get that from my mom. My mom read to me a lot and exposed me to the power of stories and words and imagination. And I, I definitely credit her for that inspiration. But poetry, it's, it's almost like my knee-jerk reaction to the world. It's the fabric of my thoughts, if that makes any sense. You're making perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm sorry, I forgot the other part of the question, but yeah. So all my how, did, how did your poetry help you? Like, okay, so you're in the bathroom stall crying and you find a therapist and maybe the gift is what's wrong with you. But I tell everybody, your gifts are not what's wrong with you. They're what's right with you. And the culture has it backwards. And so it's not a liability. It's an asset. And we have to turn that belief system around so that we yes. realize that there's nothing to fix. There's nothing wrong and there's nothing to fix. Absolutely. I can't, I can't agree with that enough. It, it's, it's a mind shift. It's a shift that we have to take inside of ourselves also to become yes. empowered about that. And mm-hmm. um, so I would, I would say, you know, even, even through the painful moments, poetry continued to be my reaction to my, to my world, both the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so even even in the pain, I'm writing the pain poems, right? It's, it's right. still coming out. It's coming out. It's coming out. Um, right. And in a way, it's sort of like, it sounds strange, but it was sort of like my way of saying like, you know what, Christy, I understand you, Christy. It's like, I understand yeah. these poems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that way, it's sort of like, I, I feel less alone if I'm creating that. It doesn't matter to me if other people are understanding those poems or even seeing them. It's more about having a relationship with some deeper part of me that's important. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And that's that connection that's so vital. Mm-hmm. And that poetry is the, is the bridge. It's the language, the yeah. lens. And that's it's be- the strangeness, right? Because mm-hmm. I think part of my pain of that particular moment that I'm talking about with the job was that it was so normal and it was so conforming um you sit in your chair you type things on the computer you answer the phone you do your thing you check out at five and it just that kind of monotony as much as I wanted to convince myself that I could do that and walked the road of trying to convince myself that I could do that in multiple jobs the reality is I cannot do that (laughs) I 
have to do something else. And so I have to have contact with things that are strange because in, in my life, the strange is the beautiful. It, it connects to me, to the spiritual things that we can't know, the ether, the, you know, the inexpressible, like all of that is a consistently running part of me that I need to be in touch with. And so conformity and this normalizing of my work life, it was running, you know, incongruent to my mm-hmm. I guess we could call it my soul. I feel like that might be a little cliche, but but to my the way that I operate inside. Right. So. Right. It, it feels like it was like a civil war. It's like your essence and your being, the being yep. of Christy was the non-conforming because of the creativity and just the experience of the world. And then there was this train mm-hmm. <laughs> going down the track saying, this is what we're expected to do. Be you're smart. You have to do it this way, do it this way and make it look normal, whatever that meant. And, mm-hmm. and the answer to that's no, that's not how this is going to work. And so it's, to me, it feels like, you know, a civil war that finally erupted with, I just can't do this. This is not like, when so if somebody was to tell me I had to sit, I'd have to sit someplace and work nine to five Monday to Friday doing whatever I I don't even I can't even imagine that yeah it's not even in my awareness like no I can't I can't I can't do that like, yeah well and I think it's kind of amazing what we can talk ourselves into though yeah um because it, so I graduated with a degree in in poetry directly into the Great Recession. And could not find a job. So I was, you know, society was telling me a lot about like, your degree is worthless. And I identified with my degree, like, in my soul. So like, you're telling me kind of I'm worthless in a way, right? Right. These things I care about so much. I've spent the last three years of my life dedicating all of my time to just don't matter, and I, mm-hmm. I internalized some of that. And so I started trying to find like any job, any job that would have me like and putting aside who I am just to find anything that I could do. And part of that was a survival, you know, we need to make an income. But part of that was just being so frustrated with society's messaging that I was like, fine, you win. I'll do it. I'll do it your way. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, <laughs> hit a wall. So (laughs) I think, I think that that's a common journey. I think a lot of people go through that kind of thing. Like how long are we able to play the game? And then finally there's that moment of that deep moment of reckoning with this isn't working, you know, in whatever way it comes. Cause I remember trying to do regular jobs and be normal, whatever that meant. And I didn't last very long. Like I, I was terrible at that. (laughs) I was good at looking like it on the outside, but I wasn't good at it. I, I didn't do it very well at all. I did yeah. all the other creative things around it well, but that I couldn't. No, it it just didn't yeah. feel right to me at all. And I think that's that's common with a lot of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is it, the the societal messaging surrounding being creative is pretty awful, which is why it's so important for those of us in the creative community to discover podcasts like this or you know, resources like saying, or, or even just your tribe of people, because you need that support. I mean, we're up against forces greater than ourselves that don't value what we're about. 
Right. And yet consciousness and creativity and consciously creating is that's our human essence. Like we're creating all the time. Yeah. And our life is like our masterpiece. I was asking people, when are you going to start signing those autographs? Right. What? (laughs) And it's all together. And then I hear from well-educated people in the society. Well, quote, I'm a scientist, so I'm not creative. And I go, well, that thesis statement is an error. (laughs) I have to get it back to them in the academic language. Right. And I hear a lot where people say they're not something without ever having explored it. So that's like content part of investigation. Right. And they create like this big separation. And then they look at creative people like the starving artist or that Mm -hmm. there's a lesser of a value. Oh, you're just a creative person. And I'm like, whoa, that's got the scales all cattywampus. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, part of my presentation at saying was talking about all of the different um, career paths that I've had. And, And certainly this has been sort of a struggle in my life is between that, which is I guess the traditionally thought of as creative artist mode and then a more analytical mode because I'm not just functioning in that world of poetics, but I'm also doing these other things that require that analytical part of my mind. And that's why um, I was trying to talk about this idea of translation that, you know, in my position as an executive director, which is definitely more on that analytical side of things, or in my past, I was a drafter for an engineering firm. That's definitely on that other side. Um, You know, I, I have these pieces of my past that are way, they seem very incongruent with poetry, but for me, there is a connectedness there because um, you you are in so many positions as a gifted person drawn to taking something that doesn't exist in the world or is an abstract concept or is an idea. So in science, your hypothesis, right? Your, your thing that you're curious about, that's your creativity functioning. And then you're going to take that and you're going to work it with your, your skills that you have, your degree, your talents and things like that. And you're, producing something for the world that's that's new right and so Mm -hmm. I guess I just don't see it as being so black and white human beings are just all the gray area and Mm -hmm. it's a gradient of of analytical and creative and that is the magic place yes yeah and mathematics my husband is a computer science applied mathematics double major and he's a programmer in his day life and he does all of this other mathematic gifted stuff on the side and that's intensely creative mm-hmm. you know i mean it's just look at the biography of any mathematician <laughs> there's <laughs> a hint right there at their lives <laughs> right and you right. can see it exactly so and I love I love the idea of being the translator. I always say I call myself like the bridge, which is the same kind of thing. Like, yes, I, I, I can I own a business and this is not the first one. And I know how to do all the executive director functionings and I run a nonprofit. I can do that, too. And I can create this over here and do these things. And it's it's a translation and we're bridging both sides of our brain, both ways of doing things that are really together in the same animal. It's the same 
different facets of the same jewel. Yeah. And so where, where does your connection to your intuition fall in all this as you, because you do a lot of really amazing business things and a lot of amazing creative things. And so where does intuition come into play um, for you? So this is kind of a complicated question for me um, <laughs> because I have uh, I have a complicated history with it. Um, I was um, a deeply imaginative, intuitive child, but I was raised in a religion that was extremely repressive and um, taught that into things like intuition are, you know, from from the dark side, basically. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and so I learned to be scared of myself, almost scared of intuition and scared of things that seemed um, anything near magical or or strange. And so that creates this really troublesome place of, okay, well, I've got this feeling, I've got this, this information, um, but then I have this intellectual side or this fear side um, that just is constantly putting water on the fire. Mm. And when I went to college, um, then the intellectual part became the water on the fire a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You know, and so coming to meet my intuition and being comfortable with it is still part of my journey now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I have to honor it by constantly willing myself to listen, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Because our intuition, we have to be willing to listen. And we get trained, we get trained away from the listening. And then that coming home back to the listening Mm -hmm. is a journey. That's a journey home right there. And the trust to yep. have trust in that thing that you hear, you know, that gut instinct, you know, and it, it's sort of like you tune into a radio station you haven't heard in a while. Mm-hmm. And it's so amazing when you do, like it feels, it feels like you're lit up inside, but it's easy to hit the dial and go back into a different mode. Right. Right. That's a great analogy. It's true. Yeah. It's so totally true. So what are some things you do um, to help with that whole spiritual part of your world? Like I know that you you would do some work about spiritual confusion. And, and I think a lot of people have that, even people who think that they're on one path. I think there's, there's, there's always that room for that little bit of, huh, what? So tell, talk to us a little bit about spiritual confusion and, and how that is in your life. And what do you do to help yourself? Yeah, so I, I think that it's been about staying in the place of openness with spirituality. Um, I've tried, (laughs) I tried in my early twenties to say that I was an atheist and I didn't believe in any of that stuff and no woo woo and you know, nothing like real hardcore. (laughs) (laughs) um, Turns out that's, I can't, I can't be that way. I'm not wired like that. But um, so then it was about, okay, well, how, you know, how do I exist here? Because, I don't think what I was raised in works for me. It's too black and white. It's too scary. Um, It's too Mm -hmm. doom and gloom. At the same time, can I have a spiritual life that I can be comfortable with? Because it's clear that part of me needs that. 
Um, and so I would say that cracking that eggshell began with nature and poetry, stepping into nature and looking at those images, um, reading poets like Mary Oliver, who really walks that line of like nature and spirituality in nature. Um, and, and then intentionally, as I became braver and stronger, trying things, um, I went to a mystical shamanism class and, you know, it turned out, it's almost like I'm adding things to my spirituality these days, rather than saying no across the board to things. It's more like, what can I what is in this that I like and enjoy and how can I include this with what I think? Because if you really think about like all the religions that are out there and all the human, human stories that are in there, it's, there's so many beautiful little gems and, and glints of gold. And like, I want to put that all together as one story of my spirituality, my version of that. And so going to something like the mystical shamanism class it was fun. I ultimately decided, you know, maybe this is not what I want to do full time. But what it did for me was it connected me with the imaginative part of spirituality. If that, you know, if like it's like, yeah, what, you know, what if we hold the world this way and we think about the trees are connected to us and we're having a communication with them. So that's I enjoy that like as a creative journey in my mind I enjoy thinking about things like that yeah yeah I did a, a cultural shamanism class right it's like Canada and we we're with the Canadian first people and, and I did I in my academia self thought we would be sitting in a little classroom learning about things I was wrong totally yeah. wrong <laughs> <laughs> totally wrong and yeah. we were out hiking in the woods and connecting to trees and talking to the hawks and doing all kinds of things that were just amazing and magical and everybody who thought I was crazy for flying diagonally across the U.S. to go to this two-day workshop, they were the crazy ones. I got so much out of it because it it, my, it totally blew my mind and it was totally not what I thought it was. It was way better than I imagined. And we got to connect on different ways. And I took away some gems and then there were some things that weren't for me, but a lot of it really resonated with part of my own journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I totally relate to that because I just remember yeah. going, I'm really doing this, huh? Yeah, I am. Do it, yeah. <laughs> Well, and I think, um, I think for me, I would be, you know, not telling the truth if I didn't say that doubt lives inside of me. It's Mm -hmm. just, you know, and, and how the things that I was raised with those fears, I, that is something that continually comes up and I have to sort of work through. Um, And so I don't want it to sound like just try all the things and you'll be fine. It's, it, it's more about like, for me, um, I, I need a lot of information coming in because I have a, I, I'm curious about a lot of things. And at the same time, as I, this is where that spiritual confusion comes in for me. At the same time that I'm adding those things to my, my repertoire of like what it means to be spiritual, I'm also writing um, some, some trauma waves still of, of pieces that, you know, from childhood that just didn't work for me and that were really scary. Um, but I think for me, it's important to be okay with sitting with that discomfort um, because that that is the reality of where I'm at. And yeah, it, it doesn't feel good. And yes, I have a lot of questions and no, there's not <laughs> enough answers. 
and that's okay. Right. So totally, it's totally okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and sitting with the discomfort is a key, I think, because none of it's if we always stayed in the comfort zone, we wouldn't get anywhere, first of all. And even then, sooner or later, that comfort zone would become uncomfortable. Yep. Exactly. And so we have to have that willingness to sit with it and, and all of those kinds of things in order to be, have that connection, that essence and that connection in a way that matters. And there's no words for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's what we're trying to translate, right? <laughs> right. And so I'm like sitting here going, well, we're consciously creating our life because it's our consciousness yeah. that's creating it. But then we also are doing these actions over here. And you might think you're not creative, but you are creative and everything, you know, don't believe everything your brain says, <laughs> just don't believe everything your brain says, because it's not totally true. It's most of it's old news, you know, yeah. and, uh, and fake news <laughs> and fake news. Yes. We can add fake news to that. So, so part of it is that being willing to be in the process of it all and everything. And since you're such a really good translator, if, if somebody's listening to us right now and they're going, oh, yeah, I was gifted when I was a kid. I didn't think about still being gifted as an adult. And they're kind of curious about how come it matters. And they're listening to you right now. That What would you tell that person whose curiosity is piqued by our conversation and they're not really sure where to go or what to do or how to think? What, what would you say to invite them to go forward? Yeah. I mean, I think... Um, I. The G word is complicated, and I think some of the definitions of gifted that some people have encountered in their lives lend more towards, oh, that just means you made really good grades. And I think it's important before I answer the question that you've asked to kind of talk about what it means to me, because mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you made straight A's. Um the gifted program that I was in was more about divergent thinking, mm -hmm. uh, meaning you don't think the same. Your thinking is looks like this and normal thinking looks like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so some programs in schools, I realize, are, are a little bit more like, well, you, you made straight A's and so therefore you must be the, the G word. Um, but I, I'm definitely talking about something more... Um, more creative than that, more mm -hmm. um, expansive of a definition than that. Yes. And so um, I think if you're an adult, a gifted adult, um, and you're and you're you're not calling yourself that anymore for whatever reason, I think it's a great question to ask, well, what if you did mm -hmm. connect with that definition of yourself? What would that look like? What would that be like? What would that mean for you? Would it help you connect with a different part of yourself that needs to come into the light now? Um, I mean, that, that was kind of my journey. And I, as far as resources go, there's so many great books um, <laughs> and there's, there's so many things out there. I discovered a lot of my books through Great Potential Press um, and through Sang because Sang has a list of therapists that they... Um, they used to, I don't know if they still do, but they, yes, they do. yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I also just think it's important for you to find your tribe because just like in a, the spiritual search, you know, that I do, 
and some things fit and some things don't. I mean, that's going to be the same with looking for your tribe. Like some of the, some of the creative community might be your people and, and other folks that you meet may not be um, for you. So it's, I guess, just have that curiosity would be my curiosity. Yes. Curiosity is the, was the next thing on my mind to ask you about. So thank you for just feeding the right to me. Right. Um, And, and I think, I think that curiosity and, play and fun are um, paramount when it comes to our growth and our being conscious and being aware and being creative and being living. Right. Yeah. And so how do you bring curiosity into the more linear thinking, the more administrative kind of thinking and, and executive kind of thinking? Cause I, I have some executives that listen to this show that are very much wanting to be more curious and more playful, but they're not really sure how to fit it in or what to do, except hide it secretly because they, they might be looked at as weird. And, um, and, and so, I identify with that. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of thought you would. So what, what would you say about that? Like, cause curiosity is where it's at. Right. And then yeah. that's really the starting of everything in science and in business and in creativity in all of its forms, it starts with curiosity. So yeah. what would you say to those people who are stuck thinking that curiosity is like should be hidden? Yeah, well, so I think, um, again, it's kind of comes back to that idea of conformity to me and conformity, even in the position of being an executive, has some room to be challenged. Um, and I think being your authentic self, or at least, you know, having some authenticity about who you are, including the parts that are weird, that can be a really great way to connect with the people who are in your life, even in your work sphere. Um, I think, I think when I personally am in that place of like, well, business mode, uh, can't let anyone see that I might have thought this was funny or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Hide the dark humor, put it in the closet. Um, The more times that I sort of like, don't hide that and actually just do it, you know, maybe, maybe I keep it kind of tamped down, but I definitely sort of like, you know, let the joke go or wasn't that weird, you know? (laughs) Um, Or, or isn't it strange that I do this thing? You know, and I have curiosity about it out loud so that other people can think about that with me. The more I do that, the more I find out that it was actually kind of a mythos that I was telling myself that I had to be this version and not this other version. That dichotomy is not really real. That's something we tell ourselves for some reason. And I think it has to do with like, well, if I don't seem a hundred percent competent all the time, then I might not keep my job or I might not get the raise or I might not be trusted with this thing. And I just don't think that that's real most of the time. I think that there's much more room for being a human being in our executive roles and uh, in our workplaces than we, than we give credit for. I think, I think you're spot on about that. And I think that some people are, they think that, or they were trained that they had to be this certain way, perfectly competent in this little box all the time, which then creates imposter syndrome because it's impossible to be that all the time. And then it creates all of these other cascading issues 
when if we would learn how to just be conscious and aware and let ourselves organically create what is ours to do, then that takes care of a lot of these rubs and a lot of these train wrecks because all of our neurodiversity and all of our divergent ways of thinking, in my mind, all come together in the perfect puzzle. Like we need your quirky piece, my quirky piece and all the others. And there's a few of them that have straight lines because they get the borders, but we all have to have that otherwise because we could have a big puzzle. And if one piece is missing, we notice it. Yeah. And I also think it's a, it's an energy that goes out when you're trying to squish parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Too. It's strange what that creates in, in your world when you're trying to squish yourself like a little sponge that you're just trying to like squish down. Um, and to, to your point of what you're talking about, I actually have like a little bit of, um, it, we're not sure if it's dyslexia or something like that, but when, um, when I'm stressed, my PDBQs flip around. And I, for the longest time, felt like, my God, nobody can know that. I will not be taken seriously as an as a professor. If I if anyone knows that my letters move around. Uh you know, just like an intense amount of shame, but also fear, like hide that mm-hmm. now. <laughs> right, right. That doesn't exist. Nope. I'm always I'm good. Um, but lately I've started to talk about that and it's really, it's really just like a point of, I try to engage people in the, isn't it weird? Isn't it weird that I have that? And I was a professor. Right. (laughs) I don't have an answer for it. I don't know how to solve it, but isn't it weird? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, it's funny because my weird thing is my numbers flip. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, I will, because I have a really good memory and I can see it and know that that's the number. But if you put too much stress on me, I, they'll change order. Yep. And, and then I went through a period where I knew that they changed order when there was pressure. So then I would consciously try to change it back, but I would always mess up the order. Every once in a while I'd get it right. Most of the time I was messing it up first. <laughs> and I couldn't tell anybody that. And then when I finally started saying, that's okay, I have this number thing. I don't know what it is, but that's why I say it back and I have to look at it because I know that my numbers will move if I'm not careful. And sometimes people look at me like, well, you're weird. And I say, well, it's a gifted thing. I'm just gifted. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and so um, I bring some love to it and humor. Like, it's just the way it is. It's yeah. And I know what it is. So I know how to navigate it. And, um, and yeah, so and I think there's not enough room. Um, there's not enough opportunities in our lives to sit with. Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> I really feel that. And that, that kind of connects to, um, so I'm, I'm the founder of a nonprofit called class Libre and it's, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make humanities education available for under-resourced communities because the humanities are that space of sitting with the question of, isn't it weird? Isn't it strange? Or look, mm-hmm. let's look at this together. And, and part of like why I'm so passionate about that is my own observation that there's there's not enough time place safe environments Mm -hmm. where you can ponder things like that with other people right Mm -hmm. um and i really want to change that somehow um and so that that is part of my you know passion for doing that i i I want us to wonder more about each other yeah the one the whole idea of having that wonder 
and being able to sit and wonder and ponder things. There needs to be more space for that, you know, like, yeah. and all of that. So tell everybody a little bit about Class Libre and, and um, you, you gave us a little cliff note version, but we're going to put links to Class Libre and how you can help them and support them because it is a nonprofit in the show notes. So, but I want Christy to share with us a little bit about the project and, and what you see for it, the vision for it. And because I think it's a really noble cause because my, my mother was a pianist and, and I was raised with a lot of appreciation of the humanities. And I'm really grateful because I didn't get it in other places that, that I might've. And, um, right. and so when I heard about your project, when you mentioned it at your talk, when your talk, I'm like, Oh, that's so beautiful. So will you share about that a little bit? Yeah. And, and I want to share too, that um, it, it's somewhat connected to my life story because um, when I think when you are, when you're raised in a very repressive environment, when you are not allowed to think except for in this box, these are the acceptable thoughts you can have. Um, It's really difficult when you grow up to figure out how to get out of there. And you, you're not sure where is a safe place you can go um, to, to talk about those things. And so for me, when I started college and I encountered humanities classes, that was life-changing because that was the first opportunity I had had to have a culture, you know, cultural like influence and investigation outside of the box of thoughts that I had been given growing up. And so that's, that, that piece of it, that gaining that freedom to, um, to connect with other human beings was super powerful so um, at Class Libre, we so we're we're still um, just getting started. So <laughs> I just finished up the website last week, but we are all about trying to provide basic education in the humanities, and by humanities, we're calling that uh, the fine arts, literature, music, culture, uh, history, and we're trying to take it where it's from where it's always been, which is very academic. Um, you know, you either learn some of it in high school or you learn it in college. But beyond that, you have to be a person who's willing to go to a museum or willing to go to a thing to access that. But we want to make it more available. So, for example, we have poetry classes that we teach in retirement communities. And the magic of connecting with the elderly community over a poem is I, I can't even, I can't translate it. I can't put it into words. It's so moving and powerful. And to see them have that ability to connect with each other and with someone else over an idea is, is it's just magic. And that's the kind of moment we're trying to create for a lot of different communities. So particularly adults um, and particularly if they've not gone to college or not finished high school, we want to make that space available for them to um, learn a little bit about these things that are the core of being human beings. Oh, that's just delicious. That's delicious. So we're going to put a link to that, to your new website in the <laughs> show notes. So y'all can check out what Christy's up to, because I think it's really important that we honor all our weirdness, all our curiosity and all of the things, the stuff of the fabric that make us all beautiful human beings. And I think that's how we consciously create things is, is really be willing to explore the crises and the discomfort and everything and weave our own tapestry, our own magical way. The weird part, the quirky part, the straight part, the all of it is beautiful. 
and to remind ourselves of that in all of these interesting, neat ways, part of our healing and just part of our journey too, right? Yeah. And I, th- I think when you hear other people's stories mm-hmm. and you yeah. realize that it's not just your own story, yeah. you know, I think that there's just, there's something in that that's really important for us. Yes. Very important for us. Extremely important for us. Mm-hmm. So um, I've used up a lot of your time already and I have more, so we'll probably have to do a second episode because that's just gonna how this is going to roll. Um, but I have. A, is there anything that you had on your heart that you really wanted to share today when you were contemplating coming on the show that I didn't ask you about or we didn't cover or we didn't say? Um, I want to give you that opportunity before I ask you your final question of the day. I, I feel good. I feel like I could talk to you forever. So. <laughs> well, if we start we talking more, it's just going to keep going. So, right. So what we will do is we'll do another episode and then we'll have time to hang out together anyway. So here's your final question of the show. We're going to put a billboard up that the whole world is going to see with Christy Peliquin's mm. message. What is the message on your billboard? Mm. I, you know, I think mine's going to be pretty easy. I think mine is going to be keep going. Keep going. I love it. Keep going. Keep going. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, keep, keep exploring, keep finding those things, keep asking the questions, keep trying to meet the people, keep going. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you, Christy. So everybody yes. been listening to Christy Peliquin, a professor, a poet, an amazing woman who has created all kinds of neat things. Who's a weird and quirky like all the rest of us because we are consciously creating our lives, whether we're paying attention or not. And I really want all of us to pay better attention. So what we create is what serves us. So thank you, Christy, for being on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it so much. Remember, everybody, put your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star. You are here on purpose with a purpose. And so... Let's go out there and let our light shine. And let's keep going, like Christy says. Keep going. All right? Until the next episode of Someone Gets Me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.